All right. How about taking your Bibles and open them up with me again? Uh, tonight, I want you to turn to Acts 17. We're going back to the book of 1 Thessalonians in just a moment. But let's start in Acts chapter number 17 again tonight. I want to show you just a little bit about what happened in the beginning of this church and why Paul wrote this letter to them to help you to understand and appreciate the good Word of God. All right, Acts chapter number 17. Remind you that in the, the first Thessalonians chapter 5, at the end of that book, he charged them to read his letter to all the brethren. And so while I'm not going to read the whole letter to you, I want you to do that, if you would, read it tonight, tomorrow, this week. Make some notes about it, maybe question marks you may have about some things, but must be an important a letter uh, for him to say, listen, I charge you by the Lord to read this epistle. For, in Acts chapter 17, this is where the church at Thessalonica uh, began. And Paul had went in there on the Sabbath days, three Sabbath days, three Saturdays in a row. I say he went there on Saturday. I, I'm assuming it was. But you know the Sabbath starts on 6 o'clock our time Friday night. I mean, he might have been there on Friday night with them all the way through Saturday. I don't know. But I do know is, in verse number 3, that he openly, he opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And the Bible says, and some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. What a blessing it is when you come across people who are sincere in what they are seeking after. Now they may be, they may, as Paul said in to, the, to those up there in Athens, you know, you're, you know, you are worshiping ignorantly this God that you don't even know. And so, but I appreciate people's sincerity. I do. But you know, it's harder sometimes to get a religious person to get saved than it is someone who doesn't know anything about the Lord. That's a fact. It's hard to turn loose of religion that you have been trained and taught in most of your life and be willing to put that on the shelf and receive what the Lord has for you from the Word of God. That's not an easy choice to make. And I appreciate those of you. There's some in here tonight who have done that. And it's not an easy thing to do. In Acts 17, notice what it says here. And it says in verse number 4, again, a great multitude. Would you say that was a few people, right? Amen. That's a lot of folks that got born again. And I mean, just all of a sudden, overnight, a church is there. Boom, there it is. Okay? And he says, and of chief women, not a few. And But the Jews, now notice what happens here. Not everybody's going to be happy that a church has begun. Not everybody's going to be happy that people have been born again. Okay? Because a lot of times religion is just simply about control and cash. That's what it is from a lot of, lot of places. And it's about, it's about noses and it's about people and it's about popularity. And that's why it doesn't, I don't understand why any church would say, I am a non-denominational church. I don't understand that. I really don't. Because what you're telling me is then that can anybody come to your church and believe anything they want to? I mean, can they, what, what do you believe about some things? Are you ashamed of some of the things that you believe? You don't want other people to know what you believe? And so, I don't understand that. But here's what happens in verse number 5. 
It says here, but the Jews which believe not, these are those religious Jews. He says they were moved with what? With envy. I am convinced, Brother Ed and Brother John, that had there only been two or three people that got saved, they would not have cared what had taken place. But the fact that there was a multitude, they were envious of these men. And so the scripture says, and they took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. That's an unusual description of a group of men, isn't it? Lewd fellows of the baser sort. Just nasty people. It says, and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Obviously, they were meeting in his home. That was the way things happened back in those days. And verse 6 says, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, saying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Now keep in mind, this is a baby church, and uh, the city is not excited about them and their beginning. Do not. For a moment, expect the world to love you after you get born again and identify with Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in verse 7, when Jason had, whom when Jason had received these, and these, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Now this is a false accusation. And that's what they do. And there are going to be some false accusations made against Christians in these last days. We are conservative. We are Bible believers. We are moral thinking people. And what we believe and what we think is contrary to what the world is really pushing hard right now. And they're going to consider the very simple, basic, moral truths that we hold dear to as hateful and divisive. Pride Month is as wicked as hell itself. And it will destroy this nation. It is my love for God. It is my love for you. It is my love for my country that I cannot be silent. It is not that I'm trying to irritate and aggravate any particular kind of sinner. It is when you put that sin in my face and then you come after my children that we're going to have issues with. And they are coming after our children. In their toys, their cartoons, their music, their movies, this culture is pushing hard after your children. And they're going to make false accusations when you say, just around your family, they say, well, my kid's not going to do this, my kid's not going to wear that, my kid's not going to think this, and they look at you and say, what's the matter with you? You need to learn to look at them and say, what's the matter with you? Amen. And so, but it says here that they were accusing them of being contrary to the decrees of Caesar. I've noticed that there has been on social media, almost every time I see news on social media, they're picking up every gun shooting in America where somebody is getting killed by some other people. But they never, ever 
repeat or say anything about people who have defended their families or defended themselves. All of this is a narrative. And they are pushing this narrative upon America. You say, what's that got to do with what you're preaching? Because these guys, they're wicked, they're ungodly, they're religious. But they don't fear God, they're envious, they're jealous, and they hate us, and they will make false accusations against us. Most of us in here uh, have some way of defending our families, Um, whether it be uh, most of us going to be by guns, and I'm just saying that there's absolutely nothing wrong with a Christian, a Bible-believing Christian who loves his wife and children, of having a weapon that would protect his family. But that narrative is coming down the pipe. You understand? It's coming down the pipe. And I'm just saying that here, the Bible says that they were accusing him of being contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. All right, so now they're saying that they're a threat to the government by saying this about Jesus. Verse 8, And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogues of the Jews. And so my point of reading this here is to show you that Paul had to immediately leave this infant church. And yet, it survived. It was not built upon a personality. It was built upon the power of the gospel. And it was able to hold them together. Now they did need leadership and they needed needed help. And that's why Paul wrote this letter back to them. Look back over to 1 Thessalonians with me if you would now please for just a moment. 1 Thessalonians. I told you that it was a personal letter. Do you Can you imagine how Paul's heart was? Brother Jared, when he was told, when he was said, listen, you guys need to get out of town. But the, and he had just had a great meeting. People had gotten, multitudes had gotten saved. And now he's got to leave them. He's got to leave them to themselves. How difficult that is for a man of God. Now that's not difficult for a, a hireling. But that is difficult for a man of God. First Thessalonians, you'll notice that he wrote this letter in chapter 5, verse number 27. He says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. This great man of God went into that place and uh, he began to preach to them the word of God and they responded to the gospel of God. You'll notice how many times he uses that term in chapter number 2. You got your Bibles open? Look at it with me, please. Look in chapter 2 and notice what he says about this to them. He talks about his, his time there, which was short, about three weeks that we know of, three Sabbath days. Look at this and pay close attention. Look what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. For yourselves, brethren... This is how personal it was for him. This letter was personal. How our entrance unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, what happened to him at Philippi? He got beaten and thrown into jail. He says, We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation, and this is what you have to watch out for preachers and how they preach and what they say, whether it be me or anybody else you listen to. He, this is what Paul said how a preacher ought to be. 
For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Would preachers do that? Hmm? Would they? Oh, yes. He said, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Now look at this. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Now look at this. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. You think he cared about these people? Verse 8, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. I am convinced it's much easier for people to receive what you have to say to them about God if they know that you really do care about their soul. You remember that when you're talking to people. You remember that. And he says in verse 9, For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because you would not be, we would not be chargeable unto you. Any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. And I, and, and I want to read just a couple of verses. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy, holily, and justly, and unblameably, we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And as you know, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. This was very personal to him. What he was, his message, his method, his manners, his motive, it was all pure, unblameable, without guile, and godly. And I think that a man of God ought to be serious about what matters. I believe that. I think he ought to be he ought to be uh, also practice that which he preaches. Amen. And so it makes it a lot easier for folks to follow if that man is following the Lord. Amen. That's why he said in chapter 1 and verse 6, you became followers of us. Well, they weren't afraid to follow him. He was, like, he was treating them like he was their father. He loved them. He cared about them. And he says, and of the Lord. Now, not only was this personal, this letter, but Brother Johnny, this letter was not only personal, but it was prophetic. Now, they are, they are facing some tribulation here. They are fe- facing some ugly stuff by people. Religi- religious people can be so mean and so ugly. And they're dealing with this. So he writes them a letter. Every once in a while when the Lord nudges you and you can write something that will encourage somebody, take the time to do it. Take the time to encourage them and strengthen their faith. But this letter is also prophetic. Did you know that most of the things that you read about in your Bible have no, nothing to do with the rapture of the church? It has to do with the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period. And now Paul is writing this and he's introducing to us of something that is a great mystery. And that is the rapture of the church. The taking away. Because as far as the world was concerned, there was only two entities on planet earth. 
And that was the Jew, and that was the Gentile. But when God began to form the church, it started a third entity called the church of God, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And they have a totally different plan in God's economy. And so the Apostle Paul now is, that's why he's told the Corinthians, he said, do not offend neither the Jew nor the Gentile nor the church of God. And you will never be able to rightly divide your Bible if you cannot discern those three entities when you're reading your Bible. You won't be able to. And you will be sincere, but you'll be sincerely off course and you'll be wrong. So be sure that you understand who he is talking about and who he is talking to when you study your Bible. Now, Let's notice something in this passage here. Notice in chapter 1, verse number 10, when I say it's prophetic, and I want to spend just a few more minutes on this, and then we'll, we'll pray and go to the house. I want you to look at this prophetic letter to them, because how can you be encouraged when things are not going well? Well, he's reminding them of a divine truth that'll help them. Look what he says in chapter 1. I think it ought to encourage you. Look what he says here in verse number 10. He says, and of course he said they got saved, but in verse 10 he says, and they were serving the Lord and to wait for his son from heaven. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The great tribulation is the wrath of God. And he will use that to chasten Israel. He will use that to do his will upon the Gentiles and the Jew. But the church of God is not engaged in that part. And he says, we've been delivered from that. And that's something new to them, something new to man. You'll notice in chapter number 2 with me, please. Look in verse number 19. If you mark in your Bible, and I hope you do, I hope you'll circle chapter 1 and verse number 10. Because that's when he begins his prophetic utterance about the coming of the Lord to them. And about it being distinct and how it delivers them from the wrath to come. Verse 10. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his what? At his coming. Would you look with me now in chapter number 3. And look in verse number 13. The Bible says this. He says, To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now that's different. Now again, Brother Ed was emphasizing this morning in Sunday school, and if you were not in Sunday school, I would encourage you, too. And, 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 and Brother Brent, thank God for his ministry back there, how he uploads these things for us at a touch of a button. We're able to listen to some of these things while you're driving down the road in your car or on your phone. Brother Ed's been going through the, the importance of your Bible and not having a funny book but having a Bible. And things that are different are not the same. And so, you know, somebody said to me the other day, well, there's this particular church in our ear says, you know, it, it, it's a lot like East River. And I said, no, it may be similar, but it's not the same. There's a difference. Okay. And, but notice that he makes a clear statement here that um, he says, if, you, if you'll watch carefully, words matter. He says, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. 
with all his saints. All right. And then you'll notice something else now in chapter number four. Something, some, some folks had died in the church and they were expecting the Lord to come back in their lifetime like every church generation should. And here they, some of their loved ones had died and they're not sure exactly where all this is and what's going to happen because they didn't have a full New Testament like we did, do. And so he introduces to them and he says in verse number 13, and boy, this is a critical passage about the rapture of the church. The word rapture is not in your Bible. You agree? Okay. And so it just means really a, a snatching away, a, a, a translation. A, a, you're being removed. And look in verse 13. He said, I would, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Remember, ignorant does not mean being dumb or stupid. It means you're uninformed. Somebody hasn't taught you something. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those who have died, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Now look carefully. For if we believe that Jesus died, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus died? All right. Do you believe He rose again? I wouldn't be here if He hadn't. Amen. I wouldn't be involved in religion if that was not true. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, not by His opinion. We saw this morning in Sunday school, I encourage you, He was trying to teach you this morning about the emphasis of the importance of every word that is in your Bible. That God has preserved it. These men were not self-willed. They wrote these words. They may have, as he said very well, he said they may have wanted to put this in there, but the Holy Ghost said, no, I want it like this. I'm not interested in you putting your name on my Bible. The so-and-so Bible. I want just holy Bible. That's what he wants. And the Bible says here that Verse 14, it says, And God will bring with you. And then he said in verse 15, For this was sent to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive, this is brand new here now, we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. You ought to circle verse number 15. You ought to circle chapter 1, verse 10. You ought to circle chapter 2, verse number 19. You ought to circle chapter 3, verse number 13. And you ought to circle chapter 4 and verse number 15. He says, For we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep or precede them, which are going to happen simultaneously within the blink of an eye. He said in verse 16, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive, and this is the difference here, and remain, shall be what? Does the Bible mean what it says? See, that's really what it comes down to. Well, the Greek says this, and this says that. Listen, you can take that stuff and make it say, oh, you think about now, you better be careful when you use your Strong's Concordance. You better be careful when you use your Webster's Dictionary. You better be careful because the Bible many times will define itself. If you'll check Scripture with Scripture, 
it will, it will define itself. He says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up with them, those that have died in the Lord. Where? In the clouds. To what? To meet the Lord. Where? In the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And that is totally distinct and different than when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back on that white horse in the book of Revelation. And brother, he's got those saints with him on those horses. And buddy, I'm talking about it's going to be a, a battle and a war at Armageddon. That's, that's not what he's talking about here. He says that there's something's going to happen and it's going to, and it's going to be sudden and it's going to be swift and we're going to be out of here. Now he says, now listen, this is, he entered, in this prophetic letter, he introduces us to the rapture. So when you sometimes study the gospels and you read the words, prophetic words of Jesus, you've got to look at them in their context. Because many of, much of what he says has to do with the, with Israel and with the revelation of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period. So be careful. You can't pick and choose. Verse 18 says, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Now, what do you see in that? Well, he's teaching us the rapture of the church, that we're going to be caught up and we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Number one, that's the most glorious and wonderful thing that he could tell them. But there was some, there were some things added to that. He said, also, you're going to get to see those who have died before you. That they're going to be taken up out of the grave. And he said, you're going to meet them in the air. So there's going to be a resurrection and there's going to be a reunion. For those of you who have lost precious loved ones that who, have, who were in the Lord, that means a whole lot more to you than folks who have not lost someone. And I thank God for, I'm, the, I'm a firstborn generation Christian. In my family, I was the first one born again. But one of the first things that I, that I wanted to do was to see my mother and my father come to Christ. I wanted to see my brother and my sister come to Christ. I wanted to see my favorite cousin come to Christ. There's just something about the Holy Spirit that puts it in your heart that you would like for them to have what you've got and you'd like for them to go where you're going. And so I'm just saying that, dear, here it is. I mean, my dad and mom are gone. My brother's gone. And I'm saying that you've got, we've lost a lot of great people here at this church over the 27 years that I have been here. I have preached a lot of funerals over the years here. And I'm looking forward to seeing some precious brothers and sisters in Christ when this happens. And I believe that they could communicate with their forbidden to do so. And I'm forbidden to try to communicate with them. I'm not going to do that either. But if they could, I think Brother Ronnie Cooper and Brother Jimmy O'Farrell, especially the way he was, I think they'd be saying, Brother Roger, preach it. It's real. It's real. It's real. As a matter of fact, today's our anniversary. And just a few years ago, Brother Jimmy... O'Farrell was taken from this world by on an accident 
by providence, accident, whatever you want to call it, was taken from us in an accident at work. But I remember the last time I saw him, we were talking about these things. And he was standing right there. And we were talking. And in just a few days, I saw him on Sunday and on that Wednesday. He was gone. And I'm just saying, boy, if he could, if he could just say something right now. Brother Rogers, keep preaching it, man. Keep living it. Keep preaching it. It's real. It's real. It's real. Can I tell you, I believe it's real by faith. I do, I believe it. Though I've never seen or heard these things except only read them. I embrace them, I believe them with all my heart. And I find great comfort in it. I do. And these folks that are crazy in this world can mock me all they want. Just don't die. Just don't die. Amen? But you'll notice something else in his prophetic letter that I appreciate. It's in chapter 5. You'll notice he's, and, and, and in this passage, he does mention his coming. It's in verse 23. And I'd like you to circle that verse. He says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he begins chapter number 5, though, He introduces us prophetically to the rapture. He teaches us about the resurrection and the reunion of the saints. And then he reveals to us, Brother Scott, once again, about the wrath to come. He is prophetically telling them that there will be a divine separation that takes place. He uses the pronouns, and yes, God does use pronouns. God believes in hims and hers and she's. He does. He doesn't call them its. And the Bible says here, but He also separates the unsaved from the saved. He calls them us and them. Us and them. Which one are you? (laughs) I appreciate that, sister. She said us. I'm one of us. Amen. Look look at this. Verse 1. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need to write unto you, for you know the perfect of the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And he says, and when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. You don't want, you don't want anything to have to do with God? You hate God? Okay. Here's what's coming. He says, but ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. He said, ye are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Look at this. Therefore, let who? Us not sleep as do others. But let us watch and be sober. Verse 7, for they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But he says in verse 8, but let us who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, when he says the hope of salvation, Brother Jason, do you think he's thinking, well, man, I sure hope. I sure hope. Maybe, just maybe this is going to be true. Maybe. That's not the word that's conveyed in the New Testament. That word hope is the word confidence. Oh, man, he says, 
with, you know, the hope, the helmet of confidence, the hope of salvation, the confidence. Am I arrogant in saying that I know in my heart that I'm a child of God, that I'm born again, that I've been saved, and God has forgiven me of my sins, and if I die, that I know for sure I'm going to heaven? Am I being prideful and arrogant? No. Because I can't do any of that. It, it's of the grace of God and the mercy of God. And I am simply believing. I, I, I just believe what he says. Okay? And the Bible says in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. I just believe God keeps his word. And he says here, and I love this in verse number 9. He says, hmm. Brother Cade, look what he says in verse 9. For God hath not appointed who? Hey, I'm in there. Sister Lisa's in there. She said she was. She's one of the us's. And that's not standing for the United States, by the way. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, deliverance, by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Now he says at the end of this, now listen, I know you've gone through a lot, but I love you as a father. I care about you. I can't come back there to where you are. He said, but I can tell you what the Lord says in verse 11, and you read this epistle to each other. You read this, and you believe this. He said, wherefore, comfort yourselves. How are you going to comfort anybody if you cannot comfort yourself? He says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together. So I, 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 I hope that you're comforted tonight by reading this. Comfort yourself together and edify one another, even as you also do. This letter not only was personal, but is prophetic. There will be a rapture. There will be a resurrection. There will be a reunion. Now, in that rapture, there's going to be a revealing, uh, not only just a reunion, but a revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And I'm looking forward to that but also the wrath to come. There will be a separation. I'm ready. Are you? I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Uh, you know, I, I'll remind you of the song that I mentioned to you this morning. Troubles sometimes are here. Filling men's hearts with fear. Freedom we all hold dear. Now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God saves us from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod. Christians, awake. That's what he said here. Jesus is coming soon. Morning or night or noon. Many will meet their doom. He said that here. Trumpets will sound. All the dead shall rise. Righteous meet in the skies. Going where no man dies. Heavenward bound. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Father, I thank you for my church, family. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be part of the us group, but help us to care about those who are not. And, Lord, help us to reach others for Christ and to believe in the power of the gospel. We'll thank you for your goodness and mercy toward us now in Jesus' name. Amen.